Welcome to the Emergency Medicine Conversations podcast. I'm Dr Louise Tuckwiller, Senior CMO working in two southern regional hospitals. The aim of this podcast is to review emergency topics with a rural and regional perspective. The opinions expressed are for general education encourage everyone to check their local guidelines and those of the New South Wales Emergency Care Institute. I'm fortunate to have with me today again Dr Catherine Lachesse, consultant paediatrician working in rural southern New South Wales. So thanks for joining me again today, Dr Lachesse. Thanks for having me, Louise. Now, we're going to begin with a hypothetical case. And for today's case, I'd like to let the listeners know that we're discussing this based on the experience of others, not having yet seen any cases of this ourselves. So we've got an eight-year-old boy who presents with four days of fever, greater than 38 degrees, abdominal pain and conjunctivitis, and a macular papular rash on his trunk. He weighs Mm -hmm. 40 kilograms, has a heart rate of 135, a temperature of 38.5, a respiratory rate of 14 and a blood pressure that's 90 on 60. His parents both had COVID during a surge about four weeks previously. He had a mild ERTI during this period, but he was not tested as they were in home isolation. So Kat, what would your approach be to assessing a child with a presentation such as this? Yeah, so the first thing is obviously a PPE. So making sure everyone involved in this is wearing their protective gear. So, uh, you know, in right now, we have to kind of consider a variety of different things that could be going on for him. I think that just from his vitals, we know he's a bit tachycardic, he's febrile, his respiratory rate is good, and his blood pressure is stable. So I have time to kind of think about what I would need to do for him. Immediately, you know, with everything going on, I'd like to think maybe this could be COVID-related inflammatory process. But again, I, we need to still keep in mind other things that could be happening, uh, you know, is it a drug reaction, Kawasaki's, erythemia multiforme, or, you know, TENS, is he in septic shock? Is this a drug reaction? Could it be HSP? Does he have juvenile idiopathic arthritis? It's a systemic presentation. And of course, sepsis, 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 we always need to keep sepsis at the top of our differential. And I think if we have a broad kind of approach, we'll be safe. So with history, obviously, is he a well child? And is he immunized? And then going through his systems, uh, any respiratory assessment, any cough, how long has he had his fever for? How long has he been ill? When did the conjunctivitis present? Are there any other mucosal membranes associated? So mouth and, you know, genitalia and anus as well. You need to make sure you ask those questions. With regards to, and, and of course, has there been any blistering, any oral ulcers? When did the rash present and how has it progressed? And with his abdominal pain, uh, is he drinking? Is he eating? Is he voiding and stooling? Any blood in his stool? Any blood in his urine? Any dysuria associated? And where is the pain located? Has it progressed? Is it intermittent? Is it an interception like picture or is it more constant crampy? So really, really defining those features and then getting an idea if there's anything they hadn't mentioned. So joint involvement, joint swelling, other rashes, diarrhea, vomiting, and of course, the lethargy. Are they, uh, is he up to his normal state? Is he, uh, or has he deteriorated significantly in the last 24 hours? You know, any neurologic symptoms, any seizures, any headaches, any vision change, really getting a very good kind of symptom-based assessment. And oh, and nausea, of course. 
identifying if there is any immunosuppression risk. Is he an asthmatic that's always on steroids? Uh, does he, is he diabetic? All of these things are really important and any uh, previous history of illness or previous history of similar illness. How has everyone else in the family and anyone else with similar presentations? Subsequently on physical exam, we've got our vital signs, really observing his mentation and altered mental status, and then doing a, you know, a top to toe exam, specifically looking at the eyes, mucous membranes, level of hydration, hemodynamic status, Capri fell, is there a murmur? Is there chest pain or chest pain tenderness, air entry, any wheeze, any signs of pneumonia and abdominal pain, tenderness, any, is it, is there a gallbladder involvement? As we know, the gallbladder involvement can happen with Kawasaki's disease as well. Is there tenderness? Is it an acute abdomen? Uh, checking the testicles, making sure there's no inguinal hernia, torted testicle, or um, or other uh, genital urinary involvement. Checking flank tenderness, making sure we're not missing an appendicitis, making sure your Robsings and uh, obturator sign are normal. And of course, neurologic neck stiffness, neck supp uh, supple neck, and looking at our kidney, our you know our other signs for meningitis, and checking our for our rashes or peeling of the hands and feet, uh, any hemorrhages, nail bed hemorrhages, or you know our Osler signs or raw spots. Looking on the lower extremities, checking for any rashes or erythema nodosum on the lower extremities. Uh, doing a thorough cardiac exam, thorough respiratory exam, and really covering all our bases and doing our baseline neurologic exam as well. Oh, that's great. And I think, you know, you basically... And joints. Don't forget the joint. Joints. That's right. Yeah, so really, I think, as you said earlier in that, the broad differential is just so important, isn't it? So we don't sort of anchor on something and and I think you were saying in a, in a previous podcast, you'd like to have at least, you know, three or four things on your differential to make sure yeah. you're not, not getting stuck on the one thing. So as you said, in a child like this, there was actually quite a number of things that we did need to consider. And, and as you say, sepsis being the foremost one to be on the lookout for. Now, you did mention immunosuppression, and that's probably, you know, one of the risks for this paediatric inflammatory multisystem syndrome. What other risk factors would there be for a child to get this post-COVID? Mm -hmm. Child, you know, uh, interestingly, obesity is a risk factor, and that's definitely on the rise, as we know, in our community. A pregnancy and age, so adolescence, and so on either age and on either edge of the childhood era. So either very young, less than six, less than three months, corrected age, mm. or older. So adolescent age over 12 to 13. And then of course, children with severe complex chronic disease. We're thinking along the line of our asthmatics, our diabetics, um, et cetera. Okay. Now that's, that's very good to be aware of. And what sort of other symptoms and signs do the children with PIMS present with? Mm -hmm. So aside from the fever that's uh, over three days, the symptoms can be very nonspecific and varied. So we've got gastrointestinal at the top with abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea. Dermatologic are some of the other, as we mentioned, rash, swollen hands or feet. Mucocutaneous, so conjunctivitis, any mucosal changes, cracked lips, red tongue, 
And remember where the mucosal is not only the mouth, but also in our genital urinary area. Neurologic also, so headache, altered mentation are some of the symptoms that have been come up and musculoskeletal, um, so myalgias and joint pain. So as you can see, this constellation of symptoms is quite varied and could elicit quite a broad differential. And I, of course, with COVID, we would always, um, there's, there's upper respiratory and lower respiratory symptoms. So congestion, sore throat has been one, as well as cough, shortness of breath and wheeze. Okay. So I suppose the other thing, just to make clear for the listeners, we, we've now sort of merged into talking about this paediatric inflammatory multisystem syndrome, which is known as PIMS and can occur post a COVID infection. And, and that's what we're, you know, the diagnosis on this child is presumed to be after having ruled out those other causes. Um, so Kat, how long after the initial COVID infection does PIMS normally occur? Uh, well, according to Better Safer Care Victoria, about two to six weeks it can occur afterwards. But again, information is still coming out all the time. So I think if a child has had a history of COVID, it's good to keep it in the back of our minds. That's great. Thanks. In terms of, you know, trying to make the diagnosis, I've seen sort of various different definitions. The, the Royal Children's Hospital actually references Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health case definition, probably because they've had, right. had more. Um, and that can be found on the Don't Forget the Bubbles website. So they define it as um, one, a child presenting with a persistent fever and inflammation with neutrophilia, elevated C-reactive protein and lymphopenia, and evidence of a single or multi-organ dysfunction, such as shock, cardiac, respiratory, renal, gastro, or neurological disorder, um, with some of additional features which they list. There's some overlap. They might have some of the criteria for Kawasaki. And as you said, importantly, you need to exclude other microbial causes, including bacterial sepsis, staphylococcal or streptococcal shock syndromes, infections associated with myocarditis, such as enterovirus. But waiting for these results shouldn't delay seeking expert advice. And the PCR testing for COVID might be positive or negative. Um, so is that the sort of definition you would be using, um, Kat? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think in the PCR test, it because it happens later, that they're not as useful, but definitely a, to be done. Uh, but that uh, the serum test. So when you uh, this like the blood, the blood test is the most important. So when you're actually checking the levels uh, and Im- uh, your immunoglobulin response, those are often positive. Okay, so you get some um, serology. When I had a look at the list of investigations, there were quite a lot, and I think you probably would need to look at the RCH website, which gives links to documents listing these. But do you mind just briefly outlining outlining the um, important initial investigations we should be doing? Um, Yes, of course. So definitely an FBC differential, CRP, and of course, a blood culture. In all cases, we really should be doing a blood culture in these kids who are presenting with fever and unwell to rule out, obviously, sepsis. Definitely FBC, uh, electrolytes, uh, liver function tests, which would include an albumin, ALT, AST, GGT, and bilirubin, uh, ALKFOS. 
and your with your electrolytes, I would get a urea serum creatinine. Of course, in any child, we're looking at sepsis, urine analysis, and urine culture is really important. But also in Kawasaki's disease, we know that you can have a sterile pyuria, so that could help with that. The labs I've just mentioned are very similar to your Kawasaki disease labs, including an albumin. Um, and you could also get a chest X-ray in this case, specifically if they did have chest pain. But also there sometimes is bilateral inflammation, both Kawasaki and other respiratory illnesses, of course. Uh, they do some. They do mention in Kawasaki's to get to pro BNP and to troponin, and that could be considered specifically if you do have changes on your ECG and an echocardiogram if your system allows. If we're thinking there are cardiac symptoms, uh, chest pain or arrhythmia, definitely uh, get those bloods, including the troponin and the pro BNP. Again, the pro BNB in a rural area probably won't come back very shortly. So that uh, would be at your discretion. But an ECG, chest X-ray, and echocardiogram would be considered if this child is unwell and having cardiac symptoms as well. Viral swabs, of course, in addition to the cultures that we talked about before, including your SARS-CoV PCR. And then I think that if you have a high suspicion for PIMS, then you can get approval for the the serology. And I think you just have to talk to your local lab with regards to COVID serology and the indications for that. Now, when we were talking about the differential, we didn't mention, you know, rheumatologic ideologies. And, and of course, one of those things that can be associated is something called um, mass. So, um, and, and for that, we would do LDH, fibrinogen, D-dimers, uh, PT, PTT, and triglycerides. And generally in, in mass, which is macrophage activated activating syndrome, then it's very basically like a cytokine storm, then your triglycerides are generally elevated as is your ferritin. Okay. Yeah. Oh no, that's, that's um, fair enough. So I think um, quite a extensive workup for these kids. So I think it's worthwhile definitely looking up what's yeah. required so we don't have to, you know, take blood twice. Now of all these laboratory tests we're doing, which one's are actually suggestive of PIMS when we get our results back? So some of the literature to date. So again, I just like to reiterate, I have not seen PIMS yet and I haven't seen anybody with it. But from what I've read, uh, that an elevated CRP, so above 50, and you can also consider doing an ESR as well. Those are generally helpful. Um. Elevated ferritin, so over 500 micrograms per liter. Uh, thrombocytopenia, so platelets that are below 150 times 10 to the power of nine per liter, as well as an associated lymphopenia with uh, less than 1.0 times 10 to the power of nine of lymphocytes. Uh, hypoalbuminemia and a neutrophilia, so elevated neutrophils. Um, yeah. And the, the one thing I'd like to mention as well is that uh, in the symptoms, um, you can have lymphadenopathy. And I don't think I mentioned that when I was discussing it before. Okay. Oh, fair enough. So if the child, we think they might have PIMS, are they still infectious with COVID? From what I understand, no. However, I would still wear PPE. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if they're, if they're, swab is positive, then theoretically they still have 
virus. And but the basis of PIMS is that it's an inflammatory response of our immune system that is has got has been dysregulated, similar to other autoimmune dis- disorders. And it's not specifically the virus that's causing it, but our in, in uh, our body's autoimmune inflammatory response to it. Okay, fair enough. But as you say, best to be cautious and wear our PPE. A hundred percent. I would be wearing PPE myself. So Fantastic. I would strongly suggest it. Now you did send me an algorithm for the investigation and management of PIMS. Are you able to just outline a few of the, the steps in that that would be important? Yeah. I think that just to reiterate, there are some guidelines as well as RCH guidelines uh, to follow, but there's a few different algorithms out there. And one of them is, you know, looking if it's fever, just fever inflammation. So fever of more than three days and unwell or unexplained fever for five days. Then there's the screening blood work that we talked about for Kawasaki's and the microbiology. Again, in all of these cases, I would always be treating for sepsis and mm-hmm. no one would ever fault anyone. And, the, and then, of course, consider um, the cardiac, definitely consider cardiac evaluation. Manage and, and then I would always also be discussing these cases with pediatrics or nets because um, the guidelines are changing every day and, and thing, we're learning more and more as we go forward. And in the, you know, in all of that, if it's fever inflammation or a Kawasaki disease-like state or shock or shock-like state, I would pretty much be doing the baseline bloods that we discussed and adding any additional bloods as required. Um, These patients would be admitted, all of them, and transferred if required. Now, depending on the conversation with NETS, there can be a variety of different things. If it's just the fever inflammation, maybe just observation antibiotics as, as needed or the consideration of treatment. And in all of these treatments for the time being, we're finding that IVIG, so intravenous immunoglobulin therapy, is the treatment of choice. And they're considering if very high risk um, or Kawasaki disease-like state, and the consideration is of upfront steroids. But again, um, this is to be discussed and of course, if there's a lot of symptoms similar to Kawasaki's disease, then you initiate um, aspirin. And I think that's the mainstay for most of these. If it is a shock or shock-like state, obviously, if you you'd be wanting to treat any, you want to be treating clinically as well. So, if fluid bolus is as required to maintain um, high uh, for tachycardia that's persistent despite resolution of fever or any signs of decreased output. Of course, assessing closely for possibility of myocarditis or pericarditis prior to giving a fluid bolus. And treating fevers, we know that, or at this point anyway, it's not thought that ibuprofen exacerbates, is contraindicated in COVID. So treating a fever, uh, making sure their fluid resuscitation is appropriate. If we're having refractory uh, tachycardia or in difficulties with cardiac output despite fluid boluses and considering early use of adrenaline and on discussion with nets or uh, specialists, you know, the use plus or minus of anticoagulants in the shock or shock like state. So I think it's very tricky to follow guidelines and algorithms now, given that we're not hundred percent, 
that uh, there's stuff coming out all the time, but knowing that the initial treatment generally for PIMS or PIMS-like things, if required, is IVIG, plus or minus steroids or, and and um, uh, ASA, and of course, uh, antibiotics in, after blood cultures are taken. Oh, no, that, that's great. And I mean, I think overall, in some ways, we've got a child who, with this sort of presentation, is very undifferentiated. Mm. Um, so I think that, as you said before, it'd be worthwhile just giving a dose of of intravenous antibiotics, mm-hmm. and and also early involvement, speaking to either paediatric infectious disease and involving nets if the child actually you know looks unwell getting early advice because, you know, it's a condition we're not familiar with. And if it's not that condition, we need to be thinking of other conditions that it could be as well. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, thank you so much again for your time, Kat. We really appreciate your time and input today and, and all the help that you give us. 